the Tom Sumner Program. Old Fashioned Radio for a New Generation. Oh, it's always a pleasure to be with you, Tom. You know that. Yay, Tom! I love it in Flint! You're very astute, Tom. Tom, easy question. I'll debate Andy Dillon on your show. Well, uh, that's a very good question. Uh, Hello, darling. This is Elvira, Mistress of the Dark, with Tom Sumner. I'm all right, Tom. How are you? Lucky team. <laughs> Ciao, Tom. How are you today? That's a good question. <laughs> Hi, this is actor, comedian Jonah Pody, and you're listening to the Tom Snyder, uh, Tom Smothers. Uh, I mean, I'm sorry. What's his name? Oh, Sumner. The Tom Sumner Program. Good morning, Tom. How are you doing? Hey, at least I got the Tom part right. The Tom Sumner Program. Old-fashioned radio for a new generation. Our fellow Americans. Right now, the COVID-19 vaccines are available to millions of Americans. And soon, they will be available to everyone. The science is clear. These vaccines will protect you and those you love from this dangerous and deadly disease. They could save your life. So we urge you to get vaccinated when it's available to you. That's the first step to ending the pandemic and moving our country forward. It's up to you. The Tom Sumner Program is made possible with support from Seth David Radwell, a recent guest on the program and author of American Schism, How the Two Enlightenments Hold a Secret to Healing Our Nation, released in July 2021. As Publishers Weekly writes in its recent glowing review of American Schism, business executive Radwell's epic debut examines the historical influences that have led to what he sees as the collapse of politics in the United States. Seth Radwell makes the case that the current chasm between the American right and left can be traced back to the 18th century's Age of Enlightenment and the basic tenets of liberty, equality, and reason. American Schism provides a historical perspective that can help bridge current-day divides. American Schism by Seth David Radwell is available at Amazon, Barnes & Noble, and wherever books are sold. For more information, go to americanschismbook.com. Hi, this is Gretchen Whitmer, and you're listening to the Tom Sumner Program. It's time now for Armchair Politics. Join host Tom Sumner for this weekly reality check on current events in local, state and national politics and the real issues that really matter. You too can be part of Armchair Politics. Find us on Facebook. We let the dogs off their leash. Stay tuned, because it's on now. Hey, good morning, everybody. Welcome to this week's edition of Armchair Politics, our weekly roundtable on the Tom Sumner program. Joining me for today's edition of Armchair Politics, our panel of political pundits includes our roundtable regulars on the left, Flint's premier political pundit, Paul Rosicki. Good morning, Paul. Good morning. Good to be here. And on the right, longtime Genesee County Republican, Henry Hatter. Good morning, Henry. Good morning, Tom and all. And joining the roundtable this week, former high-ranking official from two presidential administrations, Mark Everson. Good morning, Mark. Good morning, everybody. Good morning, Mark. Good morning, Mark. Well, I always start out with a few quotes, and the first one is always kind of a, a little game finish the quote where I ask you, how would you finish this quote? And it goes like this, life without liberty is like what? Hmm. 
How would you finish that quote? Yeah, it's <clears throat> like uh, like death. <laughs> I'm not. Sure. I don't know. That's, that's probably not it. But I don't know. <laughs> like I'm going to say this: it's the Earth without the Sun. Well, that's good, Henry. Ooh, very good. You're, you're <laughs> nothing on that. <laughs> you're actually you're actually on the right track, Henry. The original quote is. Um, Life without liberty is like a body without spirit. Oh, very good. Uh, yes. <clears throat> hmm. And that uh, that actually was from uh, Khalil Gibran. Ah. Oh, oh. Is it Gibran or Gibran? Are you mean a basketball player? No, no, no. No, no, the, the, no, no. That was like I got. It was a Lebanese that poet. Yeah, I. Yeah, I read, 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 read all that stuff in college. I think it's Gibran is what I've always pronounced, but I'm not sure. Yeah, right. yeah, yeah. he's a Lebanese poet from 1883 oh, yeah. to 1931. Okay. Gotcha. That's what but, you read in the 70s and 80s when you wanted to impress some young lady or something. That's exactly <laughs> right. <laughs> it was, exactly right. It was. It was either Khalil Gibran or E. E. Cummings. oh well one of the quotes that uh, got my attention this week was uh, this one you know what we're really talking about here is can you count on the government to pay its bills it's not about future spending or taxes we've incurred bills can the government be counted on to pay those bills and Americans whether it's people waiting for a social security check or military pay or bondholders who regard US treasuries as the safest asset in the world they need to never question that the United States will pay its bills. Hmm. Oh, that would be Secretary Yellen. Yes, the Yeah. Because they're catching on. Uh, yeah, that that was a good quote. I, I did remember that. That yeah. was, uh, and and you're absolutely right. Um, it was Treasury Secretary Janet Yellen. She said Thursday that the debate over the U.S. debt ceiling amounts to flirting with a self-inflicted crisis, but that everyone breathed a sigh of relief after Democrats and Republicans reached a deal to avert economic disaster. <laughs> Are band-aids the new legislative norm? I, th- I think so. In fact, I was as you were reading, that, I was wondering how many times in the last, let's say, decade, have we had this kind of, you know, debt ceiling crisis where we come up within a few weeks of it, and then we kind of have sort of panic and bump it ahead another another month or two. I mean, it seemed like every couple of months, or maybe every couple couple times a year, we're looking at this kind of a situation. I mean, how often have we done this? I wonder, and I don't know the number. Uh, it's well, just a time in which, uh, uh, where is Congress, or is this the bureaucracy that's driving this, because something is not touching the ground. No, this is Congress, uh, Henry, and they've been I know. doing this for yes. so long, and Paul, that's why you see it come up every couple of months, is because that's as far out as they that's right. approve stuff. Yeah, yeah. But, but uh, you know, Congress needs to take charge of that stuff and not let other activities drive it. We've talked about how what the impact of, uh, of, of bureaucrats have on legislation and, and people who contribute money to the party. Mark, I just wonder who is running the country? Mark, who you started to jump in. Yeah. Uh, well, 
these two things go together, both the debt limit and then uh, funding the government, you know, the spending bills, and does the government shut down? And the truth is that um, Congress has very few duties that absolutely have to take place, but one of them is making yeah. sure that the government operates by giving yeah. the money to do that. And this True. is a part of that. And the, the real danger here, I would say, is that it just contributes to the idea that all these warnings that are constantly issued by the government, it doesn't matter whether it's debt defaults or, uh, you know, vaccines or whatever it is, they, people, the government changes and says, oh, well, wait a minute, we can go a little longer or this or that. Nobody believes the government warnings anymore because we flirt with them in such a irresponsible way. This is a part of that erosion of the, of the, Faith people have in the government because of the way it's been handled. It's, uh, I, yeah, I, good point. Good point. Yeah, and and this is also tied with the idea of taxation. They tax us all day through excise tax and stuff like that during the year, and then again they hit us with a whammy by raising the debt. Those two things are contributing to a chaotic situation not too far in the distance past, where the government yeah. may collapse. I agree with that, Henry. The other thing I'd say about this is that I'm, I'm very struck by the fact that there used to be a consensus that there's a limit as to how much debt you can have, and uh, people get it. They have a family, and they know that if they run up credit card debt, they're going to pay the piper sooner or later. But now there's sort of a uh, either an indifference or a cynicism, particularly among the young. They say, well, we're screwed no matter what, so you might as well just go right ahead and, and spend the stuff. And, and uh, I do think that that's also a significant change in our overall um, sort of national outlook and how we, how we view these, these issues. And, and it's not to the good, I would say. Yeah, the, the, debt, the, the debt level is really worrisome. We haven't seen that level since World War II, and it is worrisome. That's it. Well, here's another quote that got my attention this past week and seems sort of timely. The... the uh, Contributions that indigenous peoples have made throughout history in public service, entrepreneurship, scholarship, the arts, and countless other fields are integral to our nation, our culture, and our society. Mm, was that Joe Biden? The, on, yep. Right. On Columbus Day. Columbus Day, exactly. <laughs> yeah. or, or, or the day formerly known as Columbus Day. That's right. Uh, actually, it was the day before Columbus Day. Columbus Day was officially the 12th, wasn't it? When I was a kid, I think it was always the 12th. But, yeah, it was a Monday this week. Well, well I, it's always celebrated on Monday because it, it's been considered yeah. a national holiday. Those and it's weekends, one of the right. three-day weekends. Yeah. It was, in fact, President Joe Biden. He issued a proclamation commemorating Indigenous Peoples Day on Friday. Yeah becoming the first U.S. president to do so, the White House said. Biden also marked a change, of course, from previous administrations in his proclamation marking Columbus Day, which honors the explorer Christopher Columbus. In that proclamation, the president acknowledged the death and destruction wrought on Native communities after Columbus journeyed to North America in the late 1500s ushering in an age of European exploration of the Western Hemisphere. Um, there's, there's, this has become, for me anyway, an unexpected controversy. And the question is, should Christopher Columbus 
and or Columbus Day be canceled? No. It should always remain that. Because, and, and what, I, what I'm seeing, and I hope that you guys are seeing the same thing, I am seeing a resistance to white Americans, particularly the men, and you guys probably see the same thing, that they say, okay, we will accept, we will not accept the sins of our fathers for what they did, but we will uh, accept uh, abuses to people of color and uh, black Americans, uh, Native Americans, uh, all of the others that fit in. Uh, for what we do in our own generation, where we can, uh, where we can accept that responsibility and do something about it. But what they did in the past is not ours. This is what white people are saying to me. This is what I'm hearing out there, and you may be hearing the same thing. So it's some things like on education and on historic value of monuments. I think they're going to resist that. And, and, and they're going to stand up to this anti-culture uh, that's moving the country and changing, uh, threatening the hell out of everybody. So yeah, we'll see. But I think the Cumulus Day will remain. Yeah, I think, I think but, the but I think will remain. It's probably not a terrible idea that it's taken on the dual meaning with the indigenous people stuff as well. I mean, it, it's a minor holiday, I guess, it's, uh, all things considered. But it's. Uh, but I agree with the thing. idea. I agree with uh, giving the Indians a day of celebration. Yeah, it's okay, yeah. but don't destroy history. Well, I think, I, 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 I think a lot of people are taking the uh, uh, side that that looks at how can you how can you discover uh, a country where people already live. Right. And, 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 and of course, I the saw, fact is, I thought Columbus really never made it to North America as such, did he? He was basically he never made Caribbean. it to any place. No, he made it to the Caribbean island, Virginia basically. Island. Yeah, yeah, Nassau. He, he was. Like, it's interesting. I read something this week that was talking about the origin of the holiday, and it, it puts into uh, perspective, I think, everything because it was uh, there because. There was a great anti-Italianism that exactly. was, right. yeah. was yeah. In, in this, uh, whatever it was, 140 years ago or so. And uh, this was to try and uh, bridge that gap. And uh, we had very rough times with Italy because of things that happened down here in New Orleans. I didn't, I was unaware of this until I read the article. But, but it, it, you can't, it's hard, when you're dealing with history and the evolution of mankind, it's hard to pick a moment and say, okay, everything before this, needs to be rewritten in the context of today's standards, and we're, we're okay now. I mean, there's a constant evolution of revisiting things, but I, I think it marks the beginning of, as such of, uh, of uh, the evolution of our country. And, I'm, I, yeah, I like the holiday. Does that mean I'm with you guys? Yeah, you can do yeah. things. You can honor Native Americans in a very robust way, and certainly your policies should make sure that we're addressing the poverty, the lack of education, all of the, the scourges that are uh, on in some of those areas. So, yeah, okay, we can do both those things, it seems to me, though. Okay, we're going to take a short break, and we'll be Everybody's right back. Everybody's doing a brand new dance now. Hi, this is Mark Farner, and you're listening to the Tom Sumner Program. 
I'm Julie Lopez with Crime Stoppers. Have you ever wondered what to do if you have information about a crime or the whereabouts of a felony fugitive and you want the police to know but you need to remain anonymous? Well, here's what you can do. You can go to p3tips.com or download the mobile app. You can go to Crime Stoppers of Flint and Genesee County's Facebook page and click on the Leave an Anonymous Tip tab, or you can call 1-800-422-JAIL. All methods are anonymous, and if your help leads to a felony arrest, you may be eligible for a cash reward. Remember, your voice matters. While we've been staying safe at home, scientists have been on a journey. The destination, a COVID-19 vaccine. This journey began decades ago with research into other coronaviruses. Scientists built from there with months of research and development, cooperation with other experts worldwide, and clinical trials on tens of thousands of volunteers of diverse race, age, and health status. They arrived at a safe, effective vaccine and hundreds of thousands in Michigan have already been vaccinated. But the next step is ours. We need to get the vaccine when we can. Keep wearing masks correctly and taking precautions until we reach our destination, freedom from COVID-19 and getting back to the lives we love. Discover the facts for yourself at michigan.gov slash COVID vaccine. A message from the Michigan Department of Health and Human Services. The Tom Sumner Program plays host to the best political roundtable on radio every Wednesday from 10 a.m. to noon. Armchair Politics features great commentary and analysis about the headlines from local, state, and national politics with an alumni of world-class pundits, plus quotes, tweets, and those weird and wacky stories we call the X-Files. If it's Wednesday, catch Armchair Politics on the Tom Sumner Program. East Village Magazine is the monthly neighborhood magazine read all over Flint. With support from grants, donations, and advertisers, East Village Magazine's talented local writers give you an in-depth look at local news, issues, and people that make Flint, Flint. Copies of East Village Magazine are available at many of your favorite shops and restaurants around Flint or online at eastvillagemagazine.org. East Village Magazine, community-focused and community-supported. Discoveries. They happen when we least expect them in places we thought we knew. And discoveries have a way of teaching us a little more about ourselves along the way. Welcome to Flint and Genesee County, where up north meets down south. Home to Michigan's largest county park system and a vibrant culture. A place filled with discoveries we've yet to make. Throughout acres of beautiful lakes, wetlands, and woods, and in the diverse city beyond where the uplifting melodies of gospel choirs fill the air, where the work of renowned artists color the galleries and museums, where the fresh fruits and vegetables at the downtown farmer's market awaken our senses, and where the cultural center and planetarium broaden our view of the world. Let's spend a few days enjoying the wonders of Flint and Genesee County, where the joy of discovery is pure Michigan. Your trip begins at michigan.org. Technical assistance for the Tom Sumner Program is provided by Swiftlet Technology, engineering and IT services at swiftlet.technology. I know of a place where you never get harmed, a magical place with magical charms, indoors, indoors, indoors. 
Hi, this is Deb Cherry, Genesee County Treasurer, and you're listening to the Tom Sumner Radio Show. And welcome back, everybody, as we uh, continue Armchair Politics on the Tom Sumner with Mark Everson joining our roundtable regulars, Paul Rosicki and Henry Hatter. And here's uh, another fun one from Mark. He always enjoys these uh, Flint stories. Uh, <laughs> a Flint councilwoman has apologized for comments <laughs> made at a recent meeting that a fellow council member called inappropriate. Ward 7 Councilwoman Monica Galloway told fellow councilperson Santino Guerra that he was acting like a police officer that wants to be shot. <laughs> <laughs> during a public meeting earlier this week. During a Friday afternoon press conference outside his Flint home, Guerra, who works in uh, fugitive recovery in Metro Detroit and is a former Genesee County Sheriff's deputy, called Galloway's comments during the Wednesday, October 6th Finance Committee meeting disrespectful and inappropriate. A dispute broke out when Garrett told council members uh, at Wednesday's finance meeting, which he was chairing, that he was going to allow council president Kate Fields to speak, despite the council voting to bar her from doing so for 30 days. Garrett filed a complaint with, with human relations, but HR cannot remove a council person. He said he does not regret trying to allow Fields to speak at the meeting. Um, and then, as as Paul always points out in his uh, email to me the day before we get together for this, um, and anything else that happens in the next 24 hours, well, there was a, a uh, press conference held by yet another council person complaining <laughs> about something that... that uh, that a caller uh, on a Zoom meeting... Um, said about her, I'm talking about Eva Worthing Ooh. from the Ninth Ward, and um, they had a, a Zoom meeting going, and during the public comments section, someone um, implied that she was a prostitute, and she was a uh, little, little upset about that. Anyway, my question is, who's Zooming who? <laughs> <laughs> when you talk about the fun council meeting, it's like we're going to the X-Files right off the bat. I mean, you can't make this stuff up. <laughs> well, and I think that this is a great source of entertainment. You know, I, I don't get entertained all day, you know, only <laughs> once in a while, but when we discuss the city council, I'm certain to be entertained. That is true, Henry. That's true. Oh, it's it's only in Flint. Only in Flint. Well, I would just say um, it makes me feel that things down in Mississippi really aren't that different from the rest of the country. <laughs> <laughs> Great. Well, it's um, you know, it's 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 fun to watch these things, and and some of them have really taken off on YouTube. Some of these. Uh, dialogues that go back and forth and 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 these uh, bickering sessions that that go back and forth between members of the city council but there's a uh, but there's a dark side of this too as as pointed out recently I think uh, in an article uh, that um, TV 25 posted from a uh, political pundit near and dear to our hearts uh, Paul Rosicki, who, who, who pointed out that one of the difficulties is when we're trying to attract businesses to bring new jobs to Flint, 
and they're exposed to this kind of behavior from the city council, it, it's, it doesn't take much of that to send them looking elsewhere. Yeah, in fact, didn't Burton just get a new uh, factory of some kind or a new, new, yes, new, did. new establishment? Yes, it's going to have quite a few new jobs. But again, there's plenty of empty acreage in, in the city of Flint, but did they take a look at the, the politics here and they say, ah, on second thought, let's go somewhere else. Yeah. And I talked I about that uh, for a number of times. I talk about this once in a while, probably once a month, about how we bring new people to Flint, how we, how we bring businesses back and how the city continues to decline unless we reverse this process. And the city council is at the root of the criticism. I agree with all of that. It's just um, because any business that's over a certain size is employing these days site consultants who say, oh, well, you, you could go to Flint, but you could also go to some town in Texas, or you could go to some place in Tennessee or North Carolina or wherever, and they go through and they and they've analyzed everything and with the internet, all that stuff's out there. And 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 don't think for a minute that the towns that are competing with Flint aren't bringing this to the attention of the investors. <laughs> they are. I, I you know it's it. I, I just I had to laugh. I um I was watching uh, some of the videos that people have posted from the council meetings with these different exchanges, exchanges between, you know, the thing that uh, Ava Worthing brought up that she was so upset about was that there was a, a just, just the callers, just during the public comment section, who made some disparaging comments to her. And she was looking to the council leadership to sort of back her up, you know, to shut them down and, and to move on in a professional way. And they didn't. You know, they just kind of threw her under the bus. Yeah, yeah. Well, no, this, is, this, is, uh, this is... Go ahead. Go ahead. No, okay. Uh, this is where Mrs. Fields should appeal to the board. Uh, do I have a consensus? She didn't do that. She should have used her her power as chairman to call on the board to make that decision. Well, uh, this is a big issue. It's not just a flood issue. Look at the president. The president commented, uh, he basically winked and said, well, it's okay to go after a senator cinema follower into the bathroom. He said, he said it's inappropriate, but it's part of the process. And yes. the same thing is happening now. You've got a big, apparently, the Virginia gubernatorial election is in part um, turning on this issue of behaviors at school board meetings, which is a big issue across the country. So True. I think that, uh, the, the rules of how you conduct yourself in a public forum, uh, they are no longer respected. And it's, it's just the same thing as we were talking about earlier. It's just a further erosion of standards that is very yeah. uh, contributing to some of our difficulties. Yeah, good point. I mean, school boards used to be these kind of sedate groups that would decide, uh, you know, basic educational policy, and they were fairly quiet meetings. But now they become the center of controversy about vaccines and mandates and critical race theory, among other things. And they become the hotbed of these, this almost sometimes violent controversy. School closings. And, you yeah. know, I, I, and I'm a little concerned. I, I'm, I'm afraid that, you know, maybe I need to warn people to put on their foil hats. But 
we've had two vacant school buildings in the last couple of weeks basically burned the ground. Right. Yeah. And, you know, I'm not sure if it was recreational or if it was... Uh, <laughs> <laughs> or or if, legal or if it was uh you know some some kind of a funding strategy yeah well, guys as i've said before this issue with respect to uh, uh the critical race theory and all of that will be solved at the school district and uh, because parents have primacy but they, they become such a hot point of controversy, yeah. though, and they, they, yeah. they never used to I be. Know. I, 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 I know. Frankly, I feel, I feel some sympathy for school board members who, you know, yeah. went, ran for school boards on the assumption they were going to do educational work, and now they're in the center of these political yeah. tornadoes for all, with all kind of hot-button hot issues. Well, things uh, are definitely different today when it comes to that. And, and again, this was um, this thing that happened to Ava um, Worthing, that she was complaining about in the press conference she held last night was, um, you know, was John Q. Public, you know, doing yeah. a public comment section. And the people that are standing up at, at school board meetings are the same people. Yeah. And you know, what's interesting is that uh, not only are people showing up at school board meeting and the, the public meeting, but they're going to the houses of these people. I, I recall seeing <laughs> yeah. some stories where they were showing up at the homes of school board members or other similar board members or, or, or in local area complaining about these issues. So it got very, very nasty. Well, I just remember when I was a kid going to public school, if my parents went to the school or to a school board meeting, it was not a good day for me. <laughs> and now, and, and, I, and I feel bad for people who want to serve as school board members, that they get accosted and, and uh, chewed out by, by angry parents. Teachers get chewed out by angry parents. And uh, it's... It's this whole sense that nobody wants to take responsibility for anything. Yeah. And, you know, the kind of impact that this is having on <clears throat> how kids look at the future, what they learn in classrooms today, they will practice 20 years from now. That's, so, that's, that's true. It's a dangerous thing. Yeah. <clears throat> Well, remember when we uh, when we did the show in uh, Lansing and Virg Bernero was still mayor. He came on. Oh the show. yes, mm -hmm. he brought donuts and and all of that. <laughs> and and I remember, you know, and it was typical of Virg because he was the country's that was his style. He was yeah. yeah, he was the angry mayor. Um, but he w he kept referring to the council as the city council. That's right. That's right. Uh, and I think about that all the time when I watch videos from Flint City Council meetings. Yeah, that's, yeah, yeah. And it's and it's a shame. And and we've got an election coming up in just a couple of weeks. Uh, well, what is it? About three weeks now. Three weeks from yesterday. <clears throat> and, yeah. And um, you know, I there are five people writing running as write-ins. 
And so, so some of them are putting together some substantial campaigns. I don't know how serious their Steve, chances of winning Steve are, Barber but. in the Ninth Ward is really working a campaign for a write-in candidate. There are streets in, in neighborhoods over in the Ninth Ward that have Steve Barber signs up all the way down the block. Yeah. Well, same thing over here in the Seventh Ward. Uh, Tarode, who's who's running a oh, campaign. Yeah. She, at least, at least in this immediate neighborhood, there's signs all over the place for her. She lives just a few blocks away from me, and uh, again, I don't know what her chances are, but she's putting for a write-in candidate. She's organizing a pretty substantial campaign, so we'll see. Well, just just a quick reminder for people that want to get to know these candidates. Uh, a couple of weeks ago, I had all of the candidates that are running for Flint City Council on the show. And if you go to the, the archive in the website, if you go to the audio tab and then go to show archive, you can scroll down and find each of the wards um, listed there. And you can listen to the candidates for that ward. Um, there are, you know, somewhere like Eric Mays and Eva Worthing in the first and ninth wards who are running unopposed, but there are write-in candidates. Um, then there are some where there are two candidates that made it through the primary, but there's also a write-in candidate. So uh, all of those candidates are are in the archive if you want to get a chance to listen to me talk with them one-on-one -on -one and um, get an idea of who you want to support because you sure don't get a real secure sense of who you want to support by watching the council meetings. That's true. <laughs> I do have a question here. Is it too late for me to launch a write-in candidacy, or is there like a residency requirement that I have? <laughs> I think there is a residency requirement, Mark, um, but uh, I'm not sure how long you have to be a resident. Still, I think it's okay. six months. Yeah, if you could probably six months. Grab a hotel room quickly. You might be able to, might be in good shape. <laughs> right. Okay. There, and there are plenty of empty houses. Well, that's all yeah. true. <laughs> oh, well, they the, may not have windows, but they uh, <laughs> may, they might not even have plumbing, Henry. Um, <laughs> the first female police chief of the uh, Clio Police Department has announced she will resign in mid-October. Jamie Zeckman, who has served as the Clio Police Chief since October 2019, submitted her two-week notice on Thursday, September 30th, and will resign from her role effective. Thursday, October 14th, tomorrow. In a uh, October 7th letter announcing her resignation, Zekman said her goal coming into the position was to gain professional development while serving two to three years with the department. She is now looking to pursue a better opportunity in the law enforcement profession. Zekman also noted in the letter that the resignation has nothing to do with the false sexual assault allegations by the anti-police citizens who reside in Clio. The allegations have only been made on social media and through an August protest outside the Clio Police Department, the chief told M Live the Flint Journal on Friday. Zeckman said she believes the allegations were made in retaliation to a search warrant that was served on a home. No formal complaint has been filed with the police, she said. Is it a little refreshing to hear a public uh, official admit that they're looking for a better job? <laughs> um, and that's why they want to spend more time with their family. Yeah. Um, 
Maybe, does Henry have any more details about what was going on with Clio? When I heard that story, obviously it sounded like there was something odd going out with the resignation. But is there any no, more I, backstory I to that, Henry? I don't have a backstory for that. Oh. But uh, then, uh, you know, many times uh, things that go on politically, I kept close to folks' chest. True. They don't get out. <clears throat> and Clio... It has been a stable community for a long time without these upheavals. But uh, it gets us in the water. It's everywhere. Now, one thing I did uh, print out that I wanted to mention, I got a press release from the uh, city clerk's office. And and this is just kind of a public service announcement. Friday, October 29th at 5 p.m. is the deadline for the city clerk's office to receive absentee ballot requests from registered voters in the city of Flint for the city council general election being held Tuesday, November 2nd. Uh, Leading up to the election, the city clerk's office will be open daily from 9 a.m. to 5 p.m. Monday through Friday up until 4 p.m. on Monday, November 1st to receive and process absentee ballot requests. In addition, the office will be open on Saturday, October 30th from 9 to 5 to issue absentee ballots over-the-counter to City of Flint registered voters. The final deadline for voters to return an absentee ballot to the clerk's office is 8 p.m. Tuesday night, November 2nd. Absentee ballots received after the deadline date cannot be counted. And uh, you can call the clerk's office and get more information. But October 29th is... uh, is the deadline for ballot requests. Can I jump in with one thing to follow up on something Paul said? Yeah. Uh, he talked about spending more time with your family and everything. I worked in the Reagan days, and a very close friend was the head of the Voice of America, Ken Tomlinson, and he went on to be editor-in-chief of your site. Yes. His wife, Rebecca, they had two boys. He kept an old New Yorker cartoon on the refrigerator. It was this disheveled-looking mom with these two kids, and, and the mom turned to the kids and then saying, bad news, guys. Dad is resigning his government job to spend more time with the family. <laughs> <laughs> I, I've always wondered whether even when somebody took a job, whether they would say they would be glad to spend less time with their family. <laughs> well, the, the, the cartoon that we had on our refrigerator when my kids were young, Mark, was... Uh, the, the same disheveled mom in a kitchen and a, a little boy tugging on her uh, apron and she's in and the the caption reads uh, mom can we eat dinner at the uh, at the dining room table like those people do on TV <laughs> <laughs> <You're> right <laughs> and, oh, yeah. and one other one just because we we mentioned it earlier talking about Columbus Day and uh, indigenous people's day and so on uh there was a facebook meme over the over the weekend or or uh, maybe on monday for columbus day it was a photo of a um toppled statue of christopher columbus face down on the sidewalk and um <laughs> the caption read, Christopher Columbus discovers the sidewalk. <laughs> <laughs> uh, that happened in Chicago, guys. Is that where it was? Yes, that was in Chicago. Really? Really? Mm-hmm. I did not know that. 
Yeah, there, there, there is that big statue of Columbus in Chicago. That's right. That's right. Well, apparently... Uh, or was. Yeah, apparently <laughs> it has that. discovered the sidewalk. Right. <laughs> That's... Uh, and I liked Christopher Columbus. Uh, he was my one of my hero friends. Uh, as a boy, he was my one of my heroes. Well, you know, as I think about it, I, I think about how many holidays have evolved. When I was a kid... We got both uh, Washington's birthday and Lincoln's birthday off in February, and somewhere along the way it evolved into President's Day. I'm not quite sure exactly how that, when that happened, but, you know, these, these days, it, holidays it do happened evolve over to, It happened to combine uh, Washington and Lincoln, whose birthdays were fairly close together. Yeah, yeah. But I recall getting both those days off when I was a kid in school. Uh, yes, so do I. Well, I, it's... Um, I, I, I just can't help wondering if the Knights of Columbus will now be the Knights of Indigenous People. <laughs> That's right. That's right. <laughs> anyway, I was trying to think if there was uh, something else. I was looking over Paul's list to see if there was something else to bring up uh, in Flint. Things have been uh, really kind of quiet except for the, the various dust-ups on the city council. It's been... Uh, yeah, we're starting to see a little bit of the campaigns heating up. I've gotten a few flyers in the mail for the first within the last day or two, and a few more yard signs. But all things considered, still a relatively quiet campaign for the city council coming up. But but the lawsuit, we haven't heard anything about that recently. We usually get an update every week on it. For you from you, Tom. You mean well, how are people reacting to the six hundred fifty million dollars? Is that going to be adequate? Or well, we see, I think, I think what's happened is that the city council is so busy fighting amongst themselves that there really hasn't been much discussion of trash collection or public safety or, or the uh, water settlement lawsuit, any of the other uh, business that should be coming before them. They've been uh, using up all their points of order on... Uh, slamming each other right yeah yeah Which well we is knew that that <clears throat> at the last time you talked about this tom we talked about um the encroachment of attorneys and to making uh conversation about this lawsuit and moving off in a different direction uh <clears throat> and uh to to remediate the problem but I was kind of uh, lost there as to what was going to happen next. And I'm sure there are people out there who are waiting for the same kind of information. Well, the two, the two, big, the, the two big events that happened was the controversy over the um, uh, handheld or portable lead reader, yes. the, whatever, yes. some sort of divining rod for finding lead in bones. And um, and whether or not that was accurate and could be used, and and the other was about McLaren, um, right? Pulling some of their money out. Uh, part of the part of the dollar amount included in the settlement was coming from McLaren, and uh, they bailed on their <laughs> their their uh, funding commitment by several million dollars. I can't remember how many, but. 
and and those are are just still you know kind of being worked out i guess we got to take a short break we'll come back and go to lansing when uh, armchair politics returns hello there citizens darkwing duck here and every time i'm in flint fighting crime i always stop by the tom sumner program don't forget stay dangerous darkwing duck out while we've been staying safe at home scientists have been on a journey the destination a COVID 19 vaccine This journey began decades ago with research into other coronaviruses. Scientists built from there with months of research and development, cooperation with other experts worldwide, and clinical trials on tens of thousands of volunteers of diverse race, age, and health status. They arrived at a safe, effective vaccine, and hundreds of thousands in Michigan have already been vaccinated. But the next step is ours. We need to get the vaccine when we can, keep wearing masks correctly, and taking precautions until we reach our destination, freedom from COVID-19, and getting back to the lives we love. Discover the facts for yourself at michigan.gov slash COVID vaccine. A message from the Michigan Department of Health and Human Services. Armchair Politics is going to hell. Hell, Michigan, that is, and you are invited. On October 27th, Wednesday before Halloween, Armchair Politics will be broadcasting live from 9 a.m. to noon from the Hell Saloon in Hell, Michigan, near Pinckney. This will be our first in-person meeting of the Tom Sumner Program's weekly roundtable armchair politics since the beginning of the pandemic. Join me and roundtable regulars Flint's premier political pundit Paul Rosicki on the left and longtime Genesee County Republican Henry Hatter on the right, plus more on Wednesday, October 27, 2021, starting at 9 a.m. at the Hell Saloon. Armchair politics is going to hell, and you can too. Objection. I object. I object to that, Your Honor. Oh, hi, Mom. What's up? Dana, what are you doing? Oh, you know, just um, Attorney General stuff. Listen, I have a legal question. What is it, Mom? I just got a call from the water company. Apparently, your father has not been paying the bill. I guess they're going to turn the water off because we owe more than $1,000 now. Can you believe it? Actually, I can't. So listen, we just have to send them $200 in Edible Arrangements gift cards and that will keep the water on. Now, here's the legal question. What is the website for Edible Arrangements? Mom, it's an imposter scam. Imposter scam. Is that .com or .edu? No, the call was a scam. Scammers will pretend to be a government agency or a utility company or someone else you might do business with. A big red flag is if they tell you that you can pay them using gift cards. So when in doubt, ask for the information to be sent to you in writing. And never give a caller or someone you don't know your personal information or your money. If you do suspect an imposter scam, Report it to my office at mi.gov slash agcomplaints. Okay, all right. And Dina, 
Where do I file a complaint that my daughter hasn't visited in over a month? Does your office have a website for that? Okay, Mom, I'm hanging up now. I'm Michigan Attorney General Dana Nessel. Visit mi.gov slash agcomplaints for your connection to consumer protection. This is U.S. Senator Gary Peters, and you're listening to the Tom Sumner Program. And welcome back, everybody, as we continue Armchair Politics on the Tom Sumner Program with our roundtable regulars, Paul Rosicki and Henry Hatter, joined by Mark Everson. Michigan's Independent Redistricting Commission voted Monday to take 10 newly drawn political maps to the public in a series of hearings starting next week believing they represent the best possible balance between equal representation, community interests, civil rights, and partisan fairness. The commission approved four congressional maps, three for the state senate, and three for the state house. Additional maps are expected to be proposed by individual commissioners as the group moves moves toward finalizing a map for each set of state offices. Is this an efficient way to move the process forward within the rapidly approaching deadlines? Hmm. Well, they, they, they were committed to having those public hearings, so I suppose they have to go through some of that. But the, the, the delay, in a sense, has certainly made, made the schedule a lot tighter than it otherwise might have been. I think we should have, we should go through with the public hearing, guys, because that's oh, yeah. where the rubber, rubber hits the road. Let people say what they want to. And... With the outcome is what will be decided as if the people made the decision, not some bureaucrat or politician. And by most indications, these, these new districts, at least in the congressional level, are going to be much more competitive than we've had in the past, especially here locally. <clears throat> it looks like uh, Dan Kildee could have at least one, maybe even two incumbents in his district that would make it much more competitive. <clears throat> yes, um, but you know, I don't think, no matter how this comes out, we will live with it, as long as the people have to say. We can live with any one of those outcomes, and it would be just normal for the rest of us. And, and again, as I said before, I, I would hope that if, if, if these districts are really more competitive, that it, it will help heal the partisan division. I've often argued that in kind of an obscure way, when everybody was guaranteed to win in November, it tended to make, divide us into the strong Republicans, the strong Democrats, and not too much in the middle, because the main election was the primary, not the November election. And you were more, if you were a candidate, you were more afraid of a primary challenge than you were of losing the election in November. This may change that a little bit. I mean, we'll see how it plays out, but maybe that'll change that process. So you think the primary should be emphasized? Uh, this is where the politicians who run for these critical positions are most interested in. Well, yeah, because, you know, for example, here in the 5th District, it's very def- very democratic. Once you win the Democratic primary, you're, you're pretty mm-hmm. much guaranteed to win in November. Oh, yes. um, and the same thing is true throughout the state in, for both parties. Out in the thumb, if you win the Republican primary, you're pretty much a shoe-in for November. So as a candidate, the, the one thing you don't want to do is you don't want to offend the base of your party because they could run, run somebody for, in, in your primary. And that makes cooperation with the other party 
really kind of difficult because then you have to sort of apologize, oh, gee, I work with the other party when you run in the primary. So I, I do think that these these one-party districts tend to, to feed this uh, partisan division we've seen for so long. I mean, there's other factors, too. But I think uh, maybe, maybe if we get more competitive districts, it may be more sensible for a candidate to actually be willing to work with the other side occasionally. Yeah, and nobody knows that better than the Genesee County Republican Party oh, uh, for, for 50 or 75 years. Uh, <clears throat> Wasn't had, there a time, uh, Henry, when you were the only Republican in Genesee County? Yeah, yeah, right. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, I thought and you were still be the only Republican. Who knows? I might be abandoned. <laughs> well, I just I like primaries because you have uh, more choices to uh, pick a lesser that's, evil. Yeah, that is true. That is generally true. <laughs> more than just two. Yeah. Well, Governor Gretchen Whitmer ordered Thursday that contractors on state projects pay union rates for state construction projects in a move that would override the Republican-controlled legislature's 2018 repeal of Michigan's <clears throat> prevailing wage law. The move drew swift opposition from Republicans and a promised legal challenge from the Lansing-based Associated Builders and Contractors of Michigan, which represents many non-union contractors and strongly opposes the requirement. Michigan Republican Party spokesperson Gustavo Portella accused uh, Whitmer of a reckless and out-of-touch power grab and unilaterally and illegally changing the rules she doesn't like to pander for votes. Jimmy Green, president of Associated Builders and Contractors of Michigan, said the group's lawyers will go to court seeking a cease and desist order. The DTMB policy will apply only to projects bid out by that state agency, Letty said. So unlike the prevailing wage law, it will not apply to construction projects bid out by local school districts, even if they use state funds, he said. State road projects are also not handled by DTMB but they are nearly all partly paid for with federal funds, and the federal government has its own prevailing wage requirements. How significant is this action in the war for and against unions? Hmm. Uh, you know, if I could say this, uh, I remember when Clio, <clears throat> uh, we, were go we had a project, and uh, the contractors were local. They were non-union, and the cost variation was very much different. So the people came to the Board of Education and said, why are we choosing this company over that company because this company is cheaper? And then, of course, uh, the school district itself wanted to follow the law. But there was a real fight in the community and I think I, I think we caved in and allowed the local contractors to do it because that's how the board wanted it to go it created quite a stir and you know, uh, school boards think that they should have primacy in using cheaper people that live locally to help drive and stimulate uh, activity that bring money into school districts. 
You know, I'm wondering, to, to, I mean, I, I assume that was really a kind of a pitch to get union support, which has long been part of the Democratic majority. But I, I really wonder, in one sense, how relevant it might be in the sense that when, now that we're facing labor shortages everywhere and everybody's bidding up the price, I, I drive by Taco Bell and McDonald's and I see wages at 12 and $15 an hour, you know, signs out in, in front of the buildings. Signs in front of McDonald's up in Traverse City are posting $21. I saw that. I saw that <laughs> for a McDonald's worker. So I, mean, I really wonder how, how significant that's going to be in practice <clears throat> if, if everybody's begging for workers and willing to bid up wages anyhow. Uh, I don't know. Mark, I, just got a letter from, <clears throat> I just got a letter from Jimmy Sabin, and many of you probably know who Jimmy Sabin is. Uh, he's a high-profile union member that has, uh, to me, kind of come back and settled toward the middle. And there was an article <clears throat> published by someone that he knows, and he republished that article. It says, why not use people who are, uh, have uh, been removed from the prison uh, as part of the workforce that's needed right now to uh, stimulate the economy, which is really a good question. Why not? If people don't want to work, why not use the criminals? It makes everybody a criminal. Yeah, I mean, you know, if people don't want to go to work and want to draw on, drain the, the, you know, the treasury, why not use other people say, give me a second chance, give me another chance? Why not? Why don't we think about that? Mm-hmm. I, I thought it was something it's you know, we yeah, don't have to do anything right away, but we got the, we got the resources here. If we don't want to open up the borders to let in the immigrants, then use the people who have been in prison and solve the problem. And one thing that's going on now, of course, in many communities now, are these expungement events where those who have, have criminal records can't have them erased under some conditions. Uh, and, and that, too, can increase their chances for employment. Henry, I agree with that. I, you may recall I was, uh, for two years, I ran the workforce system in Indiana. That was from 2010 to 2012. And I would travel the state, and many employers would say, geez, Mark, I just can't find people. And this was the same thing. You know, this was coming out of the Great Recession there, so it wasn't, uh, there. you know, there were plenty of people looking for jobs, but these employers would say, I've got some tough jobs here. They're physical or they're dirty or they're hot or whatever it is, and and I can't find people. And uh, I said, well, why don't we try and use some people coming out of the prisons? And I went to my boss, Mitch Daniels, and I said, I'd like to develop a program. He said, go right ahead. And what we did was we we took people coming out of the state penitentiaries, and uh, or prisons rather, and the idea was they had to have a clean record, no gang affiliations, and um, and it, the program really worked beautifully, and it grew under uh, under Mike Pence, who was the successor to Mitch Daniels, and now it's replicated in large parts of the country. My my thinking here was not that fifty or eighty percent of the people were going to come out of prison and and want to work, but that there's some cohort of people. 20, 30, 40%, 10%, you pick it, who say, this was a terrible collision in my life. I'd like a second chance. And to me, what it was was, uh, you know, these guys weren't sentenced to life 
uh, once they did their time, they they had been rehabilitated in theory, at least towards employment. They mm-hmm. it wasn't a life sentence just because they were involved in something. But uh, the program worked, and we need to be looking creatively at these at these challenges. I, I agree with you 100%. We got a break there and uh, cut away for show ID, but we'll be back with the second half right Hi, after I'm Alexander Zanjic. Don't touch that dial. You're listening to Tom Sumner.